the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. A quick reminder, it's Tuesday, so I don't have anything to to talk about other than uh, a reminder. I told you I'd remind you every day this week. Paul and I are leaving on vacation on Monday. I'm just reading, by the way, about Southwest Airlines uh, being closed and completely shut down so you can pray for Southwest Airlines because that's who we're flying out of here on Monday morning. But um, because we're going to be gone, the program uh, for the next two weeks after we complete this week will not be live. And I'm going to be offering a parenting series that I did. We'll get one message out of one whole show uh, and we'll do that for the 10 days that we are gone. And I think, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, it is by far the most popular series that we've ever done. I miss being with you live, uh, but we need a vacation sometimes. So uh, I think you'll enjoy the parenting series and you can spread it around. We have it available on our website as well, but uh, we're going to introduce you to it for the two weeks while we're gone. And then Paul and I will be back on July the 6th. We're actually going to be back July the 3rd, but July the 4th, uh, July 3rd is, a, July 4th is Sunday, the 5th is is a holiday, uh, and KSLR is going to be closed. So uh, I hope you enjoy. I would love some feedback on it um, when we return. Okay, let's get to the questions that have been sent while we await your phone calls. This one is from Richie. He says, um, I know I'm called to be a pastor, But I know there is sin in my life, and I'm not living a life consistent with that calling. What should I do? Richie, this is the easiest question I'm ever going to get. You should repent. You should repent. You have no idea. If you're called to be a pastor, you have no idea what a wonderful life this is. I don't mean a a life that's wonderful by the world standards, but a life that's rich and full and satisfying. And if you're going to disqualify yourself from that for sin, uh, for being inconsistent, um, boy, you are the you are really, really missing out. So I think this is where all sin leads, or at least should lead, and that's to repentance. And the idea here that we we as pastors aren't um, accountable. I mean, super accountable. 
and and because you're not pastoring right now, um, you're still accountable to God. So, Richie, this hurts my heart for you because this is just a wonderful life. Uh, I just had a man come in from the church who's going through some really difficult things, and it's been a difficult time for him. And he came in today, and he just wanted two minutes of my time. He just wanted to share how God is blessing him. Richie, I get to be a part of that because I'm a pastor. I get to have that kind of impact in people's lives. And for you to blow it would be the worst decision, I promise you, the worst decision you could ever make. So if you know you're called to be a pastor, get on your face before God now. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you've blown it and ask him, plead with him for a second chance. He's merciful that way. He's a God of many second chances. He's merciful that way. Please don't miss out on this calling. Richie, thank you for the call. Here's a question from Jeremiah. He says, my pastor says the King James Version is the only acceptable Bible. If that's true, I want to know why. Uh, Jeremiah, it's not true. That's just silliness, your pastor. And I'm not, I don't mean, I don't know who it is. So I don't mean disrespect to the person, but the idea is silly. The King James uh, is a great Bible. I love it. Um, um, as if you've been listening any time to this program, you know I'm visually impaired. And when I can't see, which is most of the time uh, when I'm teaching, um, when you hear me quoting scripture, I'm quoting from memory the King James Version because that's the Bible I was raised on. I love it. I love it. I love it. All that to say it is not the only Bible. In fact, I don't believe it is the best translation that's available. And the idea that the King James is the only authorized Bible defies logic. I mean, if that's true, it means that the world was without a Bible until 1611. It means that all Bibles translated into other languages are not reliable. And it's just not so. I understand preference. I really do. But Jeremiah, it's dishonest to say, well, that's the only Bible because it's the, uh, that's bad scholarship. It's, it's just really, really bad scholarship. Um, the 1984 version of the NAV, I think, is far superior in the New Testament translation. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, the King James is better. That's why uh, when we study to show ourselves approved, we study from multiple uh, resources. Um, and um, again, it's just a narrow-minded, um, illogical view that the King James Version is the only acceptable or authorized version of the Bible. The, the King James only people, Jeremiah, um, have lost touch with reality. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Dina wants to know, and maybe it's Dinah. I don't know. I'm sorry, but uh, Pastor Ron, was it possible for Judas to repent and be forgiven? Um, Dina, I, I think it was possible, certainly. I think Jesus gave uh, Judas many opportunities. Uh, and I, I'm going no further back than the upper room. I mean, when Jesus washed Judas's feet, Judas's would have been the first feet that Jesus washed. Uh, I can imagine that Jesus looked right into his eyes. You know, we've had foot washings here at the church and at retreats and things. And when you're washing somebody's foot, you're looking at them and you're praying for them. And Judas wouldn't have been able to escape that that gaze of Jesus. Uh, I think when Jesus was, or Jesus asked Judas, "Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss?" That was another opportunity. Prior to that. In the upper room, the one I dip with is the one who is my betrayer. Is it me, Lord? He said. Yeah, he had all kinds of opportunities to repent. Now, here's our difficulty with this, Dina. We know that he wasn't going to repent or that he didn't repent. God knew that he wasn't going to repent. So it was possible for him to repent. But once the devil entered into him, that was the the last straw. That was the the, the 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 last possible opportunity. By that time, he was completely given over to the will of the devil, uh, possessed by the devil. There was no light in it at all. There was only darkness. So um, he 
had opportunities. He didn't take advantage of them. And finally, he walked over that line. Let me see this too, Dina, about not, not just about Judas, but about all of us. And this is to the, the, the young man who just called and said he was called to be a pastor as well. None of us know when we cross that line. God is the only, he draws the line, he knows it, but none of us know. And the idea that there'll always be time to repent, we never know when our heart gets so hard that we don't even concern ourselves with repentance. That's why we need to be careful. We need to keep short accounts with the Lord. And we need to repent. We know that when we do, we're forgiven. We're purified from all unrighteousness. And when that happens, um, then we have unfettered access to the Lord. So here's what I do know. Judas blew it. Dina, none of the rest of us ever have to. We can simply ask for forgiveness, which means we're going to want to stop sinning. We've got to stop it. And we can ask and be granted forgiveness instantly in the, in the process. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Amos. Um, would you say what progressive Christianity is about uh, Amos, if I understand your question, you want me to describe progressive Christianity for you. If that's the case, it's not Christianity at all. Progressive Christianity, and uh, I'm, I'm going from memory here, but I'm using their own terms. Uh, progressive Christianity denies the inerrancy uh, and the authority of the Bible, the Word of God. Um, progressive Christianity um, uh, denies traditional male-female roles that were established by God himself. Progressive Christianity accepts sin. Even the Apostle Paul said, I put this man out. I handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul might be saved. Progressive Christianity says, no, we're not sinners. You know, everybody has a right to approach things. They, they, they approve, affirm aberrant lifestyles. Transsexuality, homosexuality—they um, they just there's just no wrong. We can do what we want, how we feel. And Amos, what what real Christians do is we open the Bible and we say, "Okay, God, what do you want us to do?" We do that. And progressive Christians just make it up. They're really not believers at all. The Bible says, "Except a man, and I will add a woman, be born again, they will in no way inherit the kingdom of God." And a progressive Christian, by definition, no matter what he or she says with their lips, is not a born-again believer because they're still pandering to the flesh, living according to the flesh instead of living by the power of the Spirit. So Amos, don't be fooled by what people say they are. Watch how people live. Because their lifestyle, the choices they make every day, will tell you who they are. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that's what you were asking for. Uh, here's another anonymous question similar to the first one I had today. It says, I know what God called me to be, and I blew it. Is there any hope for a second chance? Um, anonymous says the best thing about God is second chances. And third and fourth and fifth. So, uh, of course there is hope. Uh, our hope is not in... In you, you don't deserve a second chance, but understanding that God who created you, God who loves you, uh, God who has a plan for your life, um, God is merciful and God is good and God is fair. And he will know, in no way cast out any who come to him. So now's the time for you to get on your face and repent. Just like I told our first question today, get on your face and repent. And plead with the Lord for a second chance. Let him tell you yes. You know what will happen, figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking. He'll reach down his hand to you. And he'll look at you with a smile on his face and say, get up and let's go. But as long as you're feeling condemned, confess your sin, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness by faith, and then just start following God in the calling that he laid out before you. You don't tell me what that calling is, but uh, I promise you, no matter what God has called you to be, is where you want to be. So yeah, you blew it. Lots of people have blown it. 
But this is a chance for you to get right with God and stay right with God and enjoy the fruits of knowing what it's like to walk in the presence of the Lord. Greatest feeling ever. 340-9585. Phones have been quiet this week. We love your live calls and questions. Uh, Raul asked me, Pastor, and you remember a lot of scripture. How do you memorize it and what tips might you give me? Um, Raul, I'm not really a good memorizer. I memorize a scripture um, just based on use. It really is as simple as the constant use of it, turning the pages, uh, reading it out loud, having Paula read to me out loud, um, and, and just constant use. And then what, what I've hidden in my heart, God brings out when I need it. Now, my issue, and I, I believe with all my heart, Raul, I believe that I'm getting a little help from the Lord. Um, if not a lot of help from the Lord. Um, I'm visually impaired, and uh, I have, for all practical pur- purposes, lost my ability to read. Uh, I, I can still, uh, with, um, I have these big goggles that I wear, magnifying goggles, and and uh, my computer has been set up so I can have big letters on things. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is, like when I'm doing this program, I can't, open a Bible. I've got a Bible program that I can uh, reference a, a, a Bible verse or a Bible passage with. But um, um, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is helping remember what I've put in. And I've put in a lot of Bible in my heart, in my mind. And uh, when I need it, it's there. And um, that's all I can do in terms of giving you a tip. All I can say is is read repetitiously over and over and over. And then when you're done reading, go out and talk to people about what you've read. I think when we put into action that which God has put into our heart, then the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we can do things that we normally couldn't do. I set out one time, Raul, to memorize the book of Philippians. This goes back a long time now, probably 20 years. But I set to memorize the, the book of Philippians. And uh, I got a chapter and a half or so um, before I gave up. But I can tell you this, when I was memorizing it, uh, I can't tell you how often God enabled me to use it in ministering to other people. Just you step out in obedience and God will do amazing things. So I'm usually flying blind, um, but, but the Holy Spirit brings out the scripture that I've hidden in my heart. So uh, unless you're a really good memorizer, um, just repetition. Just keep turning pages over and over and over. And when I say repetition, read a passage of Scripture. Break it down into manageable segments. But read a passage of Scripture. Um, read it systematically. Don't just jump from one place to another. But read it systematically. And uh, when you can do that, um, just Read it, reread it, and reread it, and reread it, and uh, I promise you, the Holy Spirit will bring it out when you need it. So, Roel, that's the best I can do with that question. Thank you for, for the question. Bruce says, "I know we're supposed to pray for unbelievers, but with the world the way it is, I have a really difficult time doing so. How do I pray for people I really don't like?" Um, a couple of things, Bruce. We all are supposed to pray for unbelievers. They are the object of our ministry, not the enemy. They act like an enemy. But remember, their quarrel is with God, not with us. And we understand there, but for the grace of God, go I. And and you just realize there's things going on in their lives. Uh, I think, and Bruce, you wouldn't have been here, wouldn't have watched it online, but uh, the uh, Sweet Summer Devotion series that we're doing uh, is really helpful to me uh, because as I'm I'm listening to these stories, and now, remember, I have the privilege of being in a place where I can see what God is doing in and through their lives now. Uh, I can look back and say, you know, with everything that this girl has been through, it's amazing she's standing up, let alone serving God so fruitfully. And that helps me when I see an unbeliever who is is just disgusting, uh, it helps me remember who who knows what they went through in their life. And God did it for this woman that I know. God can do it for him or God can do it for her. 
and we got to love them. Romans 5, 5 says that God has poured out his love into our heart, Bruce, by the Holy Spirit. King James uses the words shed abroad. I like that. Our heart is covered in the love of God, with the love of God. So all we have to do, especially when there's somebody that we find objectionable, all we have to do is have enough faith to, to withdraw God's love from our heart for that person. And, you know, instead of looking at somebody like they disgust you, you can say, Jesus, there's somebody you love. And because you love them and because you poured out your love into my heart, I'm going to love them too. And then you begin praying for them. As I say this all the time, as you pray for people, God changes your heart. And, and the change will be that your heart will be more like his heart. And that's why this is such an important concept. When you can pray for the people that bother you the most, well, that's when you know you're the most like Jesus. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be, oh, I thank God that I'm not like that person or that woman. Instead, we just say, Lord, that's a child of God. And then we pray. And then we pray. Remember, they are the object of our ministry. Now, you ask, how do you pray for people I really don't like? You just do it obediently. You discipline yourself to do it. And Bruce, I talked about God love. It didn't say God shed abroad his like into our heart. There's a lot of people you won't like. But loving those people is the key to being more like Jesus. When we're unwilling to love people that Jesus loves, then we're showing that we're not like Jesus at all. And so what we want to do, wanting to be like Jesus more and more every day, then we ask God to give us his heart for those people. And the only way we can do that is to stay on our knees before the Lord. You've got to have compassion for people because God is a God of compassion. I hope that helps you, Bruce. It's really important. Um, if you start looking at people, start looking down your nose at people because you don't like who they are, or the way they live their lives, then you're... you're disqualifying yourself really from being able to be used by God in the lives of the people that you do like Jesus loves everybody he is love and he would love for each of us to be more and more like him Bruce I think that's a really important question thank you for it we're inside five minutes three four zero ninety five eighty five the phones are quiet here is an anonymous question Uh, My background is from another faith tradition, not Christian. I am now a believer, but I haven't told my family because they will be really hurt. I also participate in their religious practices because they insist I do. Will God understand why I have to keep my faith secret? Anonymous, no. God won't understand. I mean, he understands the reasons. He understands your fear Um, and all that. He understands being uncomfortable. But remember what Jesus said. He said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So this is one of those places, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. You've got to toughen up. You've got to take responsibility. You're a young man or a young woman um, 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 still with your family, Uh, but now is the time when you've got to stand up for Jesus. Tell him who you are and who in whom you believe. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And then be ready. Jesus said he came to divide families. Now, that's not his preferred goal. What he was saying was that's just what's going to happen. And that's what's happening to you. Remember that the early church was 100% Jewish. And any Christian or any Jew who converted to Christianity was um, um, treated as though they were dead by their family. And in those early days, it cost them everything to be a believer in Christ. All it's costing you now is the pain of being a secret disciple. I want you to think about this for a moment. We know Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were secret disciples. I want you to imagine for a moment, Anonymous, how difficult it was when they were in those meetings with the Pharisees and the the Sadducees when they were plotting Jesus' death. 
and they didn't say anything because they were afraid of what others would think. They they were afraid of losing their status in in Israel. Nicodemus, in particular, was Israel's teacher. There's a definite article there. And because he was Israel's teacher, he was more accountable. And now you've got an opportunity not only to stand up to your parents in love, and I'm not talking about being confrontational, but just saying, um, I've met Jesus Christ. I gave my heart to him. I'm a born-again Christian. And I'm going to be praying for you. That's what you got to do. You can't choose your family over Jesus. Imagine Jesus' smile when you stand up to your mom or your dad and you tell him, I'm now a Christian. He knows it's hard. He knows it takes courage. But what did Jesus keep telling his disciples? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So anonymous, that's what I'm telling you. Don't be afraid. You've given your heart to Jesus. Now give your life to him. Give your body to him. Romans chapter 12. Everything you are is from him and for him. Live your life for him. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your calls. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome welcome back to the program i didn't know if i was on or not so if i said welcome twice i'm sorry i'm pastor ron arbaugh 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here is a question from ralph He says, since God knows when we are going to die and we can't change that, why should we worry about health? Uh, Ralph, God knows everything. He knows when we're going to die, but he doesn't cause that to happen. He just knows when it's going to happen. Now, if you're really, really healthy, maybe God knows you're going to live another 30 years. But if you're really, really unhealthy... Maybe God knows you're going to die soon. But see, you can change that. You can change literally what God knows by taking care of yourself. You know, one of the things is the the idea of stewardship. People always talk about money. But there's a lot of ways that we uh, are going to be accountable for our stewardship. One of them is the way we take care of our bodies. You know, I exercise pretty much daily. And and the reason I do it is not because I like it. Uh, I do it because I got to keep moving. I, my, my body's got to stay strong and and healthy enough to do what I do. I love my life and I love what God has given me the privilege to do. However, to be disqualified from doing that because I didn't care for my own body is unthinkable to me. So, remember, God knows when you're going to die. He's never surprised by anything. But he doesn't cause it. So it's not like you're born, Ralph, and God says, okay, you're going to die on this day. And and you have no say-so in that. Stay healthy. Keep moving. God doesn't care what we look like, but God is very concerned about our health. And so we need to stay healthy. Do the best that you can to present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord each and every day. And be healthy enough, as, as at least as far as it depends on you, be healthy enough to be able to say yes to Jesus every day. That's what I want to do. You know, I could retire. Nobody would blame me. I'm old and I could sit around and do nothing. I could just stop worrying about my health. Um, but I'd be the one who's getting ripped off. So, so, Ralph, just do it because it's the smart thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. It's a surprising question. Here is a question from 
called in from Thomas. Please talk about Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. Let me read it first, Thomas. It says, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, I'm assuming, Thomas, this is in response to uh, Legion and the... the um, pigs who committed suicide uh, when the demons were, were allowed to go into them. Uh, and the, the reason they drove him out of the town is because he messed with their commerce. Now, I'm sure what you're asking about is verse 30, when it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That actually occurs uh, several times in, in the composite Gospels. Um, Jesus was concerned that the crowds, because of the miracles that he'd done, the way he taught with authority, he was concerned that the crowds would try to come and force him um, to, to, to usher in his kingdom. And Jesus would say constantly, my, my hour has not yet arrived. So this is a supernatural event. Every time it happens, it's a supernatural event. He just um, hid himself from the people so he could walk right through them. Almost sort of like the old Invisible Man movies. Um, can you imagine what it'd be like to walk through people angry, they're trying to kill you, they want you out of town, they're saying terrible things about you, and you're right there. And you can see them, you can hear them, but they can't see you. Imagine how that would have broken Jesus' heart. And yet this is what happened. One of the things we have to remember, Thomas, is that Jesus was on a schedule. He was on a schedule, and that schedule dictated when he was going to be revealed publicly for the first time as the Jewish Christ, as the Jewish Messiah. We know that happened on the day we call triumphal entry Sunday or Palm Sunday. We know that's when it happened. Um, it had to be exactly on that day. It could have been one day sooner or one day uh, later. It had to be that day. He had an appointment to keep and he kept it. So it's a supernatural event. Um, the people were just kept from being able to see him. And he walked through them and he went on to the next thing. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Mary. She says, will people who are handicapped on earth also be handicapped in heaven? Um, you know, Mary, the only handicapped person in heaven is going to be Jesus. We're all going to be fixed. We're all going to be healed. But Jesus is going to maintain his scars. Uh, his body will still be marred from the beating that he took, sort of a grotesque but beautiful, hauntingly beautiful memory for all of us for eternity of what Jesus did for us about how much he really loved us. So Jesus will be the only handicapped person in heaven. Uh, the people on earth who are handicapped and who go into the presence of the Lord um, they will no longer be handicapped. They will be free. We don't know, Mary, let's, uh, just as an example, a, a child. We don't know how old somebody's going to be when they get to heaven, uh, when they die, if they'll stay the age they, they were when they died. But what we do know is this. Whatever perfection is, that's what they'll be. And think about the people who are really handicapped here. I, I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who has just gone through so much these last several years. I mean, her, her paralysis has been, uh, she's a quadriplegic uh, for, for, for decades. Um, but, but she served God so faithfully. And the first time she gets up out of that chair is going to be when she stands in the presence of Jesus. Imagine the glory, the freedom of that. So yeah, people who are handicapped will not be here, will not be handicapped there. I also um, want you to know that, that handicaps that aren't obvious, mental handicaps, um, um, people born with Down syndrome uh, and other abnormalities, um, they're going to be perfect. And everything, every memory that could cause pain is going to be completely wiped out. I think that's a, a just, what a joy. You know, we think about being in heaven. If you have a strong, healthy body, Mary, you know, thank God for it. But 
but all the people that don't. We have some people here at Calvary Chapel that that suffer so much. I mean, they just suffer so very, very much. And my heart just goes out for them. When they stand before Jesus, it will be for many of them the first time they haven't had debilitating pain in their lives. And oh, what a moment that will be. I sometimes think people in that situation, Mary, are the most eager for the Lord to come. So I hope that helps. Jesus, it's an amazing thought. The only handicapped person in heaven. John saw him looking as a lamb that had been slain in the book of Revelation. Here is another anonymous question. He or she says, I need help. I struggle with low self-esteem and have a lot of issues from my past. It's destroying my witness to others because I'm sad all the time and feel bad about myself. I know this doesn't honor Jesus. Uh, Anonymous, you do need help. And, and, um, you know, this isn't an issue that I can deal with effectively in a short response on the radio program. I can say you need to get involved with your church. You need to go to the pastors there. And you need to have somebody come alongside you. You you need to, to, there's got to be men in the church that you trust, uh, women in the church that you trust if you're one. Um, but but you need help. You can't do this on your own. You see, you struggle with low self-esteem. Think about this. Jesus said you're blessed. Happy, he said blessed or happy. The word's interchangeable. Are those who are poor in spirit. So you need a different perspective on your low self-esteem. What you need is Christ's esteem, Jesus' esteem. And so the way you, you make that Renewal is simply, Jesus, I know who I am. I'm nobody. But you consider me valuable. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, the pearl of great price. You're the pearl of great price. And and your past has nothing to do with the way Jesus sees you. So this is one of those things where you got to spend more time with Jesus than with your troubles. I can tell just from the way you worded your question that you're you're spending way too much time with you. And whether it's you, Mary Anonymous, or me, um, if you spend too much time with you, or I spend too much time with me, I'm going to be miserable too. So here's the thing. Challenge yourself today. Do you really believe what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you really believe that? No, clearly you do not. And I'm challenging you. By faith, I'm challenging you to believe that. If you believe that, not one moment in your past has to affect one more moment in your future. So here's what you do. You just say, Jesus, I'm going to dump the old. I don't want to live in my past anymore. I want to live in the moment. I want to live with you. Now, Anonymous, I don't know how long you've been listening to this program, but hear me on this. I say just be with Jesus all the time. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. His joy, the joy of the Lord, is my strength. Nehemiah adds. So the answer to your problem is just being with Jesus. And and I mean, no disrespect here, but you're spending way too much time with you. Why would we worry about something that God has wiped out? Why would the way my parents treated me or mistreated me, why would the way other humans have treated me, why would that influence my future. That was all before Christ, in Christ. Why wouldn't we deal and said with the way Jesus treated us? In the parable I mentioned, the pearl of great price, it's just a verse. Jesus, God the Father, gave his son, he sold everything he had, Because he considered you that valuable. 
Now, if he considers you that valuable, by what authority are you considering yourself less than valuable? How can you be sad when you think about the gift that Jesus has given you, the gift of life? I'm not being naive, Anonymous. I understand emotion. I understand pain. I understand the psychology of feeling like a victim or feeling like you've been wronged. But here's where perspective matters so much. The only perspective you need is that the one who's really been wronged was Jesus, and he chose to be wronged for you. And that ought to take care of all the self-esteem you need. I call it Jesus' esteem, but to feel bad about yourself when God says you're beautiful and perfect sounds to me like an unbelief problem. Make this suggestion. Read the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs in most translations. And in your Bible, read just the parts that have the, the, the heading of lover. And Anonymous, that's Jesus speaking to you. And he'll say things to you like, oh, beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. Now, you're probably not going to believe that. But remember, you're arguing with God. And I'm going to challenge you to, to, to by faith, believe what he says. He's saying, you're perfect for me. He thinks about you all day, every day. His heart breaks because you're sad. Because your witness is being maligned because of your outlook, your attitude. So get some help. I would wager that you're not involved in the church. You need to be a part of an active church. You need to be an active part of an active church. With all of your heart, you need to focus on others. A friend of mine told me today that he and his wife are going through some difficult things and and um, his wife was asked to go minister to somebody else. And he said, Go. Not only will you be able to be a blessing to somebody else, but you'll end up getting blessed. And the report came back. That's exactly what happened. So think about others. Reach out to others. To do that, you need to be a part of an active church. So get to church. Find somebody you trust there. If you don't know anybody, then go to, go to a pastor and tell him what you told me. And then what you'll find is that there's help available. In the church that you'll attend, you're going to find a bunch of people who have been what you've described, been through what you've described. And then according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, they will be able to comfort you with the comfort they themselves have received from God. And then you can pay that forward. You'll be able to be the comforter rather than the comforted. But we've got take action. You've got to be obedient and to sit at home feeling bad about yourself, not to be involved in a local church body is about as destructive and damaging as it can get. So Anonymous, please prayerfully pay attention. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Marilyn. She says, I have an Orthodox friend who says works are necessary for salvation. Is that true? Um, Marilyn, I understand the Orthodox doctrine, at least in a limited sense, I understand Orthodox doctrine. And they believe, uh, as many Catholics believe, that faith and works are combined for salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, and by works, which is uh, um, uh, it destroys the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not good news if it depends on me. If I'm working to get saved instead of working because I am saved, then I'm the one who's missing out. Paul writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 that we're to work out, not work for, 
We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the man and the woman who's really grateful to God for saving him or saving her, and because they're so grateful, out of, out of no other motive than gratitude, that man and that woman who says, Jesus, use me for your glory. That's what working out our salvation with fear and trembling is all about. But the minute you throw in works, uh, Marilyn, um, you're preaching a gospel that really isn't a gospel at all. And Paul says that is anathema or accursed. Now, I've always had a difficult time with Orthodox. And, and um, you know, it, it's, it's just... I, I, the, the Orthodox people that I've known um, have been wonderful people. Um, they say they love Jesus. They actually have the same Jesus we have. But then what they do is they completely devastate the, the, the critical doctrines of our faith. Penal substitutionary atonement. They just throw it out. No, God's not angry. Jesus didn't have to take our wrath. He didn't take our place on the cross. Because they don't understand it. It doesn't make them feel good. But that's an essential. And in this particular case, Marilyn, when we start saying you've got to add works to salvation... Well, Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he says, and by the way, the Colossians um, had to deal with some of the same issues. But he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Just tell your friend that he or she has no basis biblically for that. We're either saved by grace through faith, sola fide, or we're not. And, Marilyn, I have a hard time understanding how somebody can truly be born again and add works as an essential for salvation to the gospel. It ceases to be good news at that point. So, pray for them, talk with them, but show them the word. Show them the word. Leonard says, Pastor Ron, I'm listening to your Revelation studies online. Why do you believe that Jesus is speaking to the churches through history and not just the seven specific churches? Um, Leonard, the, the, the book of Revelation tells you that, that it's prophetic as well. Um, Jesus says in the first chapter, or John writes, Jesus is talking to him. Um, write down the words of this prophecy. Not a specific prophecy, but the book as a prophecy. Remember, the book is the, the, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is the full revelation of the person of Christ in all of his glory. You know, the warrior, the, 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 the lion of Judah. Of Judah. Uh, not just the Lamb of God. Um, a God of justice and holiness. And so the prophecy that he's talking about applies to the entire book. And that means there's prophetic value in the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. Now, uh, Leonard, uh, if you're, you're listening to the studies online, you know I'm going to be starting in chapter 2 uh, this coming Friday. And I'm going to be dealing with the church at Ephesus. And uh, I'm going to detail not only uh, how the church at Ephesus, a real historical church, these are real Christians and Jesus is addressing them, but he's also imparting prophetic value in them, which means that the issues that come up in these seven letters are issues that each and every one of us individually as Christians have to deal with. I've told my church already that we're, we're not only going to find the problems that happen in Ephesus, for example, but we're also going to see that there is a church age. Uh, the, 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 the church at Ephesus represents the apostolic age. And, um, you know, the tragedy is they, they left their first love. They fell out of love with Jesus. They, they, they stopped over the years. They kept doing the work. But Jesus was no longer the priority of heart and mind. And Jesus says, you got this one thing that I have against you. We don't want Jesus having anything against us. 
So that happened in the first century church. It happened in the second century, and 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 we got crazy with doctrines, and we just just became mechanical. The church did uh, in its in its religious observances. Jesus, where's the love? Where's the passion? But it's also important. I think this is the primary application for us, Leonard. It's also important to understand that individual Christians alive, right here, everyone who comes to Calvary Chapel on Friday night and listens to this, I can promise you the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on some of those issues in their heart. I can I can tell you right now there's people there are people in our church who are serving God faithfully. They're they're doing it, but they're not doing it because they're grateful any longer. They're not doing it out of gratitude. It's almost like, okay, well I gotta do this for Jesus. And they're still doing it well, but they're doing it without the passion that they once had. And in work, um, when you lose love, a labor of love turns into just labor. And and I know the Spirit of God is going to put his finger on that spot in some people's hearts. And there's a lot of other examples through the seven churches. So we're going to find that we've all been in all of those churches' places at one time or another in our walk. And the instruction that Jesus gives us is absolutely clear. So, Leonard, I hope that helps. And please keep listening to the Revelation Studies online. I hope you will be blessed. Hey, very quickly, we're about to sign off here. Very quickly, just another quick reminder that while we're gone for the next two weeks after uh, this week, we're going to be presenting a parenting series that I did. Please Uh, enjoy it. Let the Lord speak to your heart. And I pray that you will be blessed as a result while we're on vacation. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.